vision throughout this service. New faith, new boldness, new courage in you, Father. Holy Spirit, would you just do your work this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Why don't you guys grab your seat? We are starting off the new year with something pretty cool. I feel really dark up here. Am I pretty dark? Let's have some lights. Let there be light. Already using scripture. It's good. Hey, we're starting off this new year with this awesome um, series that we sort of brainstormed. We want to look at, as our church is just so passionate about transformation, we wanted to dedicate a whole series to this idea of what faith looks like outside the four walls of the church, but actually in your world. Um, I believe quite strongly that um, this church isn't just the people in the building, but it's the people that we meet, it's the people that we work with, it's the people that we come alongside. Um, so over four weeks, uh, we're looking at your world, and we're going to focus on four different areas, um, education, business, community, and arts. Uh, and this morning, we're starting off with education, what faith looks like in the education world. And we've actually got a long-time member of the church, or a uh, member of the church about 41 years ago, which is uh, crazy. Greg Wells, he's the, uh, he founded Calamunda Christian School. He's worked throughout schools all over the place. Um, but I'm going to get him up on stage. So why don't you give him a round of applause as he makes his way up. Awesome. There you go. Thank you. Well, this is nice. All we need is a coffee. That's Where's right. that newcomer's coffee? I'm, I'm waiting on it. Waiting on it. Yes. Make an order. Where's Daniel? No, that's good. So, tell us a bit about yourself, Greg. You were at the church 41 years ago. Right, yes. What was it like back then? Well, 41 years ago, um, it wasn't in this location. It was in a building on Spring Road over the back of Kalamunda in old, I think, Navy huts or Army huts, and uh, that's when I first came to the church. And the first people I ever met in the church and got to know are here today, which is Jeff and Di uh, Hall, who uh, encouraged us to come along uh, to that church. And uh, it was a fantastic uh, experience in those early days, yeah. before they built the building across there. Yeah, awesome. And so back then, um, you were the youth pastor? No, I was you, just a member. You were just a member? We had one little baby boy, and uh, Linda and I uh, were just looking for a place. We'd built in the hills, and we looked for a place that we can set our roots down and, and you know, call our Christian home because we come from Como Methodist Church in those days, which was sort of fire and brimstone, and we're looking for a similar type of church that preached the gospel like that. Yeah. So give us a quick run-through. So that's your time here. Give us a quick run-through your experience in, uh, in education, what you've done through that realm. Okay. I, um, when I came up here, I was already a teacher, and uh, uh, I was working in the education department, and um, I uh, worked with the education department for eight years. And during that time, I felt more and more convic convicted about um, the need to do something for our young people to train them uh, in a way that uh, equip them ready for facing life as a Christian in a, in a non-Christian world. And so little by little, reluctantly to begin with, I started to look at Christian education and I applied nervously for a position to put my son in uh, at Midland Christian School in the early days when it was in its second year and during that time I also felt led to apply for a position as a teacher there and uh, that was a nerve-wracking experience because I walked away from a special promotion with the education department 
and my principalship went out the door. I thought, well, I'm going to be teaching Year 7 for who knows how long. But I finally applied, and here I went down and worked in this little tiny school in the back of Midland with in, uh, portable buildings on leased rest rail land uh, with a principal from Northern Ireland who had only been in the country a year. And she was an infant teacher as well, you know, so when you teach big kids, you think. Yeah. And uh, so as a consequence, I had to eat a lot of humble pie, and, and uh, I got the job, and the rest is history. From there, we, I grew to, up, came up to Kalamunda after that year, and we started Kalamunda Christian School. So it started with a conviction, right? Yes. Um, and so I, I know many of us here, we feel promptings from God, and it's one thing to have that conviction, but to actually make the move and, and turn down a different job, Tell us a bit about that. Well, what, what gave me the conviction was I was running a youth program here in this church and a lot of the kids, I was working at Kalamata Senior High as the uh, a phys editor and a youth ed officer in those days and a lot of the kids were coming to my youth group on Friday night and just singing the Lord's praise and really powering on for God and I'd see them in, in stress and, and wanting to crumble during the week in the school because they were students at the school as well. And I saw the, the stress and the problems they had, the pressures that were on them and the fact that they needed um, more around them on a, on a regular basis than just a couple of hits during the week on a Friday night or on a Sunday night, which is what they were getting. So that's what led me to, to look at, well, maybe there's something in this Christian education thing. Maybe we do need to prepare our kids and get them ready for the world out there. It's, it's not as easy as it looks. And we don't send a missionary anywhere in the world unless they've done at least three or four years of training to become a cross-cultural missionary, yet we want our kids to go straight out and to become cross-cultural missionaries in their schools, wherever they are. And that's a tall ask. It's something that we as um, mere mortals who go to work every day probably don't say much about our faith to anybody either because the pressure is the opposite. It's, it's, it's negative. It's, it's not open to that. Wow, that's awesome. That's really cool. And so from there, you moved up to Kalamanda. I'm really interested in this. What started in you to like start a whole new school up in the hills? Well, every day I was driving this big orange bus down the hill uh, to Midland Christian School, and there was about 37 kids on that bus. And uh, so we drove down and wound through, we picked them up here, and we wound down through the streets. And uh, Calamunda Hill was an extremely interesting experience going down, and even more experience, interesting coming up on a hot day, because the bus used to vaporise the fuel, a petrol bus, and so go, we go, like this, and all the kids would yell out, lean forward, the bus won't go. You know, so we all leaned. So we saw that, we saw the, uh, the need, that there must be a need up here, and uh, a couple of people uh, who used to be in the church at the time, uh, uh, Keith Thompson in particular, and uh, Paul Hunt and uh, Bruce Peacock, these sorts of people that members have been here for a while remember, they felt sure that we did have a, a core of people, so we, the board said, let's have a meeting up here, and... One thing, we've got a packed house down at the Kalamunda Ag Hall and uh, Kalamunda Christian School got off the ground, just like that. So put your hand, I'm an I'm alumni of Kalamunda Christian School, went there for seven, eight, eight years. Put your hand up if you've been to Kalamunda Christian School. I know a lot of our, that's pretty in, incredible that uh, you've, got that, you've got that legacy and that all started from a, a small conviction hmm. to, to just do something about young people. That's right, and, and um, you know, I'm still as passionate about that as I ever was. Yeah. And uh, how long have we got? Oh, we can, we've got ages. I mean, we might turn this into a long service. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things that I've loved. I've had 32 years now in Christian schools. Uh, after Kalamunda Christian School, I um, went 
into head office for a year in, in the system office. And then I went up to, we bought a Maus Christian school up in Armidale, and so we, it was um, uh, something I went up there to become the deputy to help join it to our system. And after that, I uh, went to Mundaring Christian College uh, for two years, and then I left the system that I was in for six years and went to Kingsway Christian College as a principal. And during that time, I felt a real godly restlessness to do something different. At the time, I was looking at going to China, and uh, I actually got offered a job as the principal of an international school in Suzhou. Um, and I just felt God saying no to that, even though it was what I, my head thought I wanted. And I, instead, I applied for the job at Cal Ellenbrook Christian College and was there, got that job, and was there for the next 10 years. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. And so throughout this whole thing, um, going into the Christian education, I guess being a pioneer for that, um, one of the pioneers in our, in our city, what conversations came from other teachers and other people um, that you just bump into uh, about you turning down a position and actually going and pioneering this whole new thing up in a town that probably no one's heard of? Um, tell us about that. Um, when, I, when I resigned from the education department, my principal at the time of the government school I was working was a, a very strong practicing Christian. And he was a good friend and he, he came to me on two occasions after I'd attended my resignation to go to this little tin pot school in the back of Midland uh, with, with secondhand furniture and, and a lot of enthusiasm and faith. And he said to me, look, I, I know you're convicted about this. He said, but are you really making the right decision? I think you really should rethink this. And he said twice, he said, look, I, I really am worried about you because you're, you're throwing your, your career on the, on the scrap heap. And the superintendent, at the time in the, in the Armadale district, because I was working in Gosnells, um, had put me forward for a special promotion. And, uh, and uh, he was quite offended that I had turned it down to resign, to go to this independent crackpot school, as he called it. And he actually rang me while I was leading an assembly at the school. And he said, uh, and the boss came up and he tapped me on the shoulder and said, John's on the phone. He wants to talk to you but he'll only talk to you if you'll change your mind about resigning. <laughs> and I said, no, I've made a decision, made my decision and I'm gonna stick with it. So with that, he went off and that was the end of that. Next thing I got a letter from staffing saying, thanks for your service, it was wonderful, but don't come back, so to speak. No, quite, not quite like that. But it was you know, a very short, brief letter, about five lines. And that was the end of that. So I went to Midland Christian School and for who knows how long. Yeah, that's cool. And so is there an individual story of someone that you've, I guess, encouraged along the way? I, I know there's probably hundreds of staff members and, and teachers and all of that, but is there a story that comes to mind when you think how just you living your life and being obedient to God's calling has, has affected someone? Or not, that's cool, if not. Um, it was interesting. There, there are lots of, lots of stories I can think of. Um, you're obviously referring to something in, in Christian schooling? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, just recently, I was, um, I was at Calamunda Christian School because now I'm on the board of the Swan Christian Education Association, even though I've retired. This is what I do in retirement. Um, and I was doing the, the, the board's prize at the awards night just recently, and uh, I, was, I caught up with one of my ex-students who's now a parent at the school down the road with her children there. And we're talking about uh, Christianity and faith and, 
and, and some of the uh, Christian stories that I used to tell in my teaching days in year seven when she was in my class. And uh, so obviously whatever I had to say to her has had an impact because uh, she's uh, never ever left the Christian um, perspective and the Christian worldview uh, alone and, and still part of her life to this day. And I'm pretty quite excited about that. Yeah, that's cool. So do you have any last words of encouragement? We've got a lot of people in education here. Put your hand up if you're in the education um, industry or married to someone in the education industry or there's a fair few people. Do you have any words of encouragement for people, maybe potentially even not in Christian education? Um, yeah. Look, I, I need to add the finish to my story about oh, sorry. my... my uh, sorry, Jaden. It's okay. Um, the, uh, I, the last four years before I retired, uh, through ill health, I had to do something different and God led me to work for the Association of Independent Schools of WA as a consultant uh, to the principals and the boards of uh, Aboriginal independent community schools. So I stepped out after 32 year, 30 odd years in, out of a Christian environment into a non-Christian environment again. And it was amazing, absolutely amazing. I loved it in, in the sense that I had this amazing freedom. I had 14 schools spread throughout the state and I had a four-wheel drive in Broome and an office, an office in Osborne Park, and I spent a lot of time in aeroplanes. And I travelled all over the state, encouraging principals, helping them with their registration, helping them with industrial matters, keeping them out of the Industrial Relations Commission for sacking staff without just cause, all those sorts of things, as, as well as helping with their educational package and program as well, and training the Aboriginal board members to be directors of their school. That was an interesting experience because I had to learn um, the culture, Aboriginal culture, and I absolutely, I've always had a passion for Aboriginal culture and people, and God gave me this chance to have four years of being immersed in this Aboriginal culture. And, and uh, I'll give you an example of one of the things that happened, you know, and I think I'm off the track here, but it's okay. Is that all right? That's fine, you're doing well. I'm <laughs> I, I just wanted to fill you in on the total picture, because I didn't just work in Christian schools, and the last four years have been amazing, because it helped me, it strengthened my faith, because you know, when you're in a Christian school environment, where you're surrounded by Christian people, and you're talking Christian things all day, every day, and you're praying. You know, every meeting you start with a prayer, and you close a meeting with a prayer. It's it's something you get used to, and suddenly you get back out of it into a, in a more secular field, and no one prays at any meetings there, and you're sort of waiting for someone to say, "Let's pray," and no one does. Um, and you go to and you go to schools where you've got inexperienced, quite young principals, male and female, and they're really struggling because they're in isolated, hot, remote places. And they're quite literally, they're living in a cross-cultural environment where English is the third language in the list, you know, straight after Ningana, Mangala, uh, Bunama, and, and, and some Creole. Oh, and there's English. You know, and that, that, that's just in the Kimberley. You know, then you've got the, the Pilbara as well. You know, I used to drive right out near the, on the end of the Canning Stock Route to, to visit these schools. And um, the amazing thing was that they knew about my background. They knew I was a Christian, and so they would often ask me little questions that weren't hinting about, they didn't want to know too much about God, but they wanted to know my perspective on things. And I found that really exciting and encouraging. And one such situation, if I can just elaborate a bit. I was phoned up by the principal at Nookambar, and he became a good friend of mine, and he had an Anglican background. And one day we were sharing, we were sharing our, uh, our, I was sharing my faith with him, thinking that he was on the same page as me, but it turns out he wasn't. He'd, been, he'd slid right back in his faith and, and so on. But, we had a chance to share and talk at Fitzroy Crossing one day, and uh, 
uh, he moved from where he was to where, where he knew he should have been. And just as well he did, because he was ringing me up to tell me that he had a problem, a spiritual problem. One of his female teachers had a spirit in her house. And uh, this spirit was causing all sorts of grief. Things were moving. She, it, was, it was pressing her into the bed, and she was terrified. She didn't know what to do. And so we had a long chat about it. And the reason he talked to me was because he knew I'd understand our spirituality. And I shared with him what I said, what I thought had happened. He said, good. He said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he, ex and he called in the... We have a, up there, we have a fantastic system uh, called uh, Kingdom Aviation. And these people flew in from Derby, the two pastors, joined. I said, don't do it on your own. Do it with these other people. So he got them to come in. They flew in and they removed the spirit from the house of this particular teacher who had no background in Christianity at all. She was quite shaken. And from that little bit, she's moving towards her, her Christian thinking has really started to come alive. And his has as well. So it was an amazing thing to think that all that time we used to go and visit and stay with Ted and sleep in his house and, and talk about school. And you think, is there anything there that I'm doing that's, that's going to um, let him... Get, open a door for me to talk about the Lord, and there it was. And uh, so I was grateful for that. So that's just one of those little things. What was the question again? <laughs> just encouragement oh, for, what for encouragement? people in the education. <laughs> Look, you know, being a teacher is an enormous privilege. And if you take it any other way, you're in the wrong place. Okay, you have got a captive audience every single day, and what you bring to them is, is you. And I always used to say to my staff, look, I want you to be a window that students don't see you so much, but they look through the window and they see Christ in you. That's the example that I would like them to have in their Christian schooling teaching experience. I mean, you've got to realise that long time after they've forgotten every great and wonderful lesson you ever taught them, they'll remember you and what you, what you were like. Well, thank you so much for being here, for, for letting your life be uh, your testimony and, and even what you've done in this community. Uh, we're so honoured to have you here. So why don't you give Greg a uh, round of applause as he makes his way down. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, mate. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed that. We've got more guests as weeks go on, but uh, the whole purpose of this is to explore what faith looks like when we go out into the world, um, and there's this verse, I'm sure you've heard it in Matthew 28, 19. Uh, it's called the Great Commission, and it's, it's our job, it's our call to action. And if we can have that up on the screens. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, notice about that, it doesn't say, therefore get the world to come to the church. It says, therefore, go. And, and the same in, in Matthew 5, when we're looking at that we are the light of the world, that we are the light of the world and we're called to go out. We're not called to have the light in here and bring everyone else to come, come and see this light and invite friends to, to church. I don't think it works like that. Sure, there's transformation that happens in the church. There'll always be transformation in the presence of God. But our job is to take that to have this little group huddle and take that out into our worlds and to see what transformation that can happen through us, the people as a church, not just the building. Is that cool? Awesome. I'm going to preach for a bit if that's cool. Uh, but before I do, I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would 
move through me uh, right now, God, and that, you know, the only words I say um, are the message that, is the message that you want these people to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. So 2019, I get excited about New Year's resolutions. And I know there's a lot of people that will sort of shrug at that idea and like, you know, don't like New Year's resolutions because you break them. And I break them too. I'm not very good at them. But I do resolutions not just like, I probably do New Year's resolutions about four times a year. Every three months, I'll just be, all right, do a little audit of my life and and what I'm doing and, and what I need to improve on and how do I get to the person that I want to be and and just take take stock of everything that's going on in my life. And so I'll sit down in the coffee shop and this happens all the time, not just at the end of the year, but like all the time for me. I sit down in a coffee shop and I just have a notebook open and I just start like daydreaming. And I imagine what I look like when I daydream because I'm completely zombied out. I'm probably like staring at, sometimes I catch myself staring at people and then they make eye contact and it's really awkward. And I, I imagine sometimes I just look so depressed and so tired, but really I'm just daydreaming and, and thinking through my life. And I love setting goals and I love the idea of improvement. I love the idea of um, sharpening myself. And, and New Year's is just an excuse for me to do that. So I sat down again and I did that. But I guess the reason that I love that idea of, you know, taking order of my life and seeing where I can improve is because I like this idea of expanding. I like this idea of God expanding in me, that I'm growing, that in my work I'm growing, in my friendships I'm growing, in my family I'm growing, in my, you know, even little things like I'm going to the gym, that I'm actually physically growing, that I'm, you know, praying more, reading more, understanding more, learning more, that each and every moment isn't wasted with me. And I like to think that I'm expanding in the way that I help other people to transformation. And so 2019, taking audit, I want to see myself expand. And, and I guess our prayer through this series is that you would look at your life as well and say, how can I expand? Whether you work in the education, business industry, the arts, community, whether it's university, whether it's just a part-time job at a coffee shop, you know, whether you're retired and, and you catch up with other people that are retired, how can you expand and how can God expand through you to those people? You know, we're a transformational church and I think our job is not to just be a transformational church in the sense that there's transformation that happens on a Sunday morning, but we're a transformational church in the sense that we go out of here and we see transformation. Is that cool? Is that cool? Yes. Come on, I need energy. Can we turn to Acts 16, 16? And it's an awesome verse. One time I want to preach it on midnight, on New Year's. That would be cool. But it goes like this. Once we were going to a place of prayer, and we met a female slave who had a spirit that predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for, for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept on doing this for many days, and, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. 
When the owners had realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate saying, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for the Romans to accept or practice. I love that. Coming to our city, turning our, throwing our city into an uproar. I love that's our like thing for youth group, that we're wildfire, that we're disruptors, and we're you know, throwing the norm into an uproar in the name of Jesus. And so I see that when I look at Paul and Silas. The crowd joined in the attack, attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. Now, this is Paul and Silas. This is a bunch of, a couple of missionaries. And they're being put in the innermost cell around all these murderers and thieves and actual terrible people. And they decide that the biggest threat to them right now is Paul and Silas. So they put them in maximum security prison. They make sure they can't even move in that jail cell, so they're bound by the hands and by the feet. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a violent earthquake. That the foundation, There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And you and all your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and and to all the others in his house. At that hour, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, uh, immediately and all him, sorry, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into this house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and all his household. If you want to title this message, I love titling my messages. It's called Just Around the Corner. Just Around the Corner. And I think the title of that chapter should actually be Occupational Hazard. See, the thing is that Paul and Silas that day you know, they're just normal Christians and their, their job's just to go around and, and to spread the word of God, just tell people about Jesus. It's, it's pretty simple. And when they woke up that day, I'm sure they didn't think they were going to have an exorcism and then be taken to court and then be beaten and then be put in jail all of a sudden to have this earthquake shake them out and for them to have the salvation of the jailer. Like that's, that's some sort of foresight if you saw that. I don't think they expected that to happen. I don't think they set out to make that happen. And imagine if they did. Paul and, Paul and Silas didn't go into the jail with a five-step plan on, on how to be transformational, how to convert your friends, how to spread Jesus. They didn't go in with official training. 
What I love about this story is the whole time Paul and Silas are just going around praising God, telling people about Jesus, and they wind up in this place. And what do they do? They, they keep on singing. They keep on singing hymns. They keep on praising God. I think sometimes we complicate things. We can overthink it. But what if we just went out into our world? What if you just went out into your world with unbridled faith and just expecting for God to do something, anything, even if it's not what you imagined it was when you woke up that morning? You know, it'd be cool if we were expecting when we went out into our work. Because let's be honest, I work at a church, right? Sometimes I wake up and I'm not expecting for God to move. I'm thinking of my job list. But what if we were expecting for God to move in whatever way he wants? Each and every morning we wake up and go to work. And I love that when he came to the end of the road, when he metaphorically, sorry, when he was chucked in prison, Paul and Silas, when they were chucked in prison, they just kept on singing praise. I think, what if when we came to the end of the road in our career, in our worlds, when we thought there was too dark and when we thought it was too hard and not where God wanted us and it was dry and we're thinking we're getting, you know, just tired here. What if when we came to the end of the road that we just came with that same faith and that same attitude just to start praising God and still be expectant and watch the, the, the prisons be shaking, watch the chains come off? I think that's cool. That's the thing that Paul and Silas could have easily been um, singing for their miracle. They, they easily could have been singing for them to be set free. They, they, they could have had that in mind when they were praising God. They're saying, God, come on, we need a miracle. We need to get back out here so we can do more transformation. You know, we can't do much in this jail cell. We need to get back out. And they're singing that. And I, I know in my life, I'm thinking, I can't do much in this situation, so I need to, you know, do what I can to get out of here. But it's evident by what happened next that they weren't singing that. They were singing an expectant song for where they were right there. They didn't run out the door and say, we're out of here, we're going to get back on with the mission. They stayed there and said, God, how can you use us here? How can you use us in this prison cell? And, and what, what happened as a result is that not only one person was saved, but a whole household was saved. They actually got escorted out of the city as a result, not just locked up in a maximum security prison. How often do we resent the prison when that's where God placed us? When things don't go your way in the world and, and you're sitting there praying, God, it wasn't meant to happen this way. It wasn't, it wasn't, this isn't of you. Like, surely this isn't what you had planned for me. Imagine how easy it would have been for Paul and Silas to have that attitude in prison all night with all, in the maximum security prison, not being able to move. Imagine if that was the end of the road for Paul and Silas. You know, I think in your situation right now, maybe you're coming into 2019 and, and you're tired and, and you're not that excited, if you're honest, and you're just going back to work because you have to, and it's a bit, you know, the first week was a bit rough, and you're feeling like you're in a bit of a dark spot in a prison. Maybe you're just there because you need money, but maybe that's where God placed you to be a minister to the people around you. What opportunities are there? How can God use you? Imagine if we wake up with that attitude 
of when I go into that workplace, how is God going to use me? Is it, is it any different than a church when we walk into work? Are we coming with that same expectation? Is that good? Are we catching? Are we, are we good? That's good. Cool. Just got to check. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, this verse, um, it's, it, it's like a little bit of a slap in the face verse, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not what you want to hear, but it's what you've got to hear. 1 Corinthians 7, 16 in the NIV says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is my rule I lay down in all the churches. And so, you know, that was a little bit of a slap in the face. I think the message says it in more of like a slap in the face version. If we can read it from the message, and this, this really got me the first time I read it. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. Now, that's in the context of, of marriage, Paul's writing that. But then he broadens it out for that one statement. And I think that's, that's something that we can take into our worlds. If we take into our world that actually God's placed us here. Actually, God's positioned us right here. We don't have to go into ministry. We don't have to go work for a church in order to do ministry. We're a minister right where we are right now. And actually, transformation happens when we recognize that and we're expectant for that. Come on, right now, maybe even start thinking right now, what transformation am I, is just around the corner in my work, in my world, with my family, at my university, at my coffee shop? What transformation is just around the corner? What do I need to be expectant for? How can God use me? Church, this morning, may we begin to be expectant for what's possible in our worlds, what God's got planned for us, the way God can use us. And as we begin to dream and think forward and, and imagine, you know, what 2019 looks like, we make that a priority that we would wake up each morning, that we would actually see opportunity in our education job, in our business job, in our arts job, in our community job, to see God move. Is that cool? I'm going to pray and we're going to, actually, we're going to have communion first. Can I get the helpers to hand out communion? And, you know, this communion, my prayer is that it would just, metaphorically expanding you, that God, as you take the communion, that God's presence would expand to you and reach the people around you, reach the people in your work, maybe the people you don't really like too much. As you begin to, yeah, can we have the band and the keys? Yeah, looking at me all weird. Yeah, as we take communion, as we reflect on God and, and this awesome grace that we're given, will we begin to be expectant and dream for how that grace can be given and accepted by the people around us. That's cool. You know, as you receive the communion, just have that in mind. Be thinking, how can I 
wake up expecting? How can I see God move in my workplace? I love the idea that, I said this before, but I love the idea that this church isn't just the people in this room. This church isn't just a couple of hundred people. It's thousands of people across all sorts of industries and all sorts of areas because we are the church. We are the body. And it doesn't just start and finish here on a Sunday. This is just a group huddle to go back out into the workplace and go back out into our world and start to see transformation happen. So as you take communion, as, as we hand our communion, begin to have that in your head. What transformation can I do? How can I be a minister? For Paul and Silas, it was just praising God in a prison cell. It wasn't a five-step plan on transformation. How can I be a minister to the people around me? We're just going to pray. God, thank you for your grace, your abundant blessing on us. God, I pray that as we take communion, as we reflect on 2019 and, and make plans and begin to dream again, God, Lord, I pray that your presence would just move in us, begin to convict us of things, begin to plant seeds of vision in our hearts and in our minds for what you want us to do in our workplace, in our, in our worlds. God, will 2019 be the, the year of transformation for come under the Church of Christ? Not just a church here on a Sunday, but the church that goes out into the workplace. Thank you, Father, that you came and died and rose again for us and for the people in our world. And Lord, I pray that you bless this bread and this grape juice to our body. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we come to the end of the service, we're going to finish with some praise. We're going to celebrate. Make sure you stick around. Uh, as that's being collected, why don't we stand and why don't we sing with some energy and excitement about the future.